Thank you for joining us for another lesson from God's Word. Anytime you're in Huntsville, we hope you'll come be part of our worship. The West Huntsville Church of Christ at Providence is located at 1519 Old Monrovia Road Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. We hope you'll enjoy this lesson brought to us by Glenn Colley. The scripture before the lesson this morning will come from Luke chapter 2, 1 through 7. Luke 2, 1 through 7. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Cernius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph, Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was one of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Please be seated. Would you open God's book, please, to Matthew chapter 1? That's where the lesson's going to begin. Matthew, the first chapter. And uh, I want to repeat what Paul said a while ago about our visitors. We always have visitors in our assemblies, but today we have a lot of family members, family of families in the assembly, and we're just so glad that you're here, and we wish you a wonderful time with your people. I, I really enjoy Christmas. I like, I like uh, grandchildren. I like Christmas morning and what uh, we have traditions in our house. We have, uh, like I'm sure that you do, we have uh, early morning, and if we're blessed to have the grandchildren, any grandchildren with us, we have squealing and hollering and giggling and the ripping of paper and a terrible mess. I, I will go to my smoker and I'll smoke some bacon. Now, of course, that's going to be different. We'll, we'll do that probably next Saturday because the Lord's Day is on Sunday and uh, you know about that, but I'll smoke some bacon, and uh, about 10 o'clock, we're going to sit around the table, and we will enjoy a, a great breakfast together. Cindy will have come across sometime during the year a quart of molasses, and she will crack open that uh, can, and we will really enjoy that. I love the family time of Christmas. But I don't celebrate the birth of Jesus on Christmas. And, and the reason is, and something that I want you to know, if you don't know, and this may be very surprising, I don't do that. And it's because I don't know when he was born. There are four gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Only two of them reference his birth at all. Oh, it's not that it doesn't have some importance. Of course it does. I'm not trying to minimize it. It's just, I mean, you, 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 you couldn't have Golgotha, you couldn't have, couldn't have the cross if you didn't have Bethlehem. It was important. And the, there are some details about it that are very interesting and very important. But no man on earth knows the, the date on which Jesus was born. Nobody knows. It's significant, it seems to me, that it was absent. It's, it's rather, rather pro, profound in its absence, the date in the New Testament. It just doesn't exist and we don't know. If he had wanted us to know, he'd have told us. 
And so what we're going to do is not celebrate the birth of Jesus more. We're not celebrating it less. We celebrate it all year round. We're just, we're just not going to designate this day. The problem is I think that we want it so bad to be on December 25th. We really want it to be that day. But that's highly unlikely. And, and the Bible never says that. All right, hold on to that. Now, that's my, I, I, I just want to say that. That's my disclaimer. Having said that, all through the year, I make a habit of, of trying to preach on things that people are thinking about. I just think it makes good sense. And so every year at this time, I talk about things that pertain to the birth of Jesus. I just always make my disclaimer, we don't know. But having said that, while people are thinking about it, aren't you glad people are thinking about him? Aren't you glad? I mean, you turn on the radio, I declare on public radio, you have, you have talk about the birth of Jesus. Well, I'm very thankful for that. I don't know when he was born, but I just love people talking about Jesus. I love people openly speaking his name. That's a wonderful thing. So, so long as you know I don't know when he was born, let's talk about two characters today. This morning I want to talk about Joseph, and tonight I want to talk about Mary. Joseph and Mary. Joseph is a, is a wonderful character of Scripture. Did you know that, that there are 16 or so different Josephs in the Bible? The most famous one, of course, would be the one in the latter half of, of Genesis, son of Jacob. But I would say well-known, too, would be the, the husband of Mary, the mother of Jesus, Joseph the carpenter. I know some things about him. In Luke chapter 2, for example, in verse 4, Caleb just read, he was from the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. I know some things about him. And so what I want to do is start in Matthew 1. I have seven things I want to point out about the character of this great man. He was, uh, he was a good, good man. Joseph was somebody you'd like if you met him. You would appreciate Joseph. Tonight, when we talk about Mary, we've got wonderful things to discuss, things that are true and things that aren't true about Mary, but you cannot stretch your imagination around the fact that, or the idea that God would be so careful in selecting this young girl, not because she was an angel. Mary wasn't an angel from heaven. She was just a girl. She was a human being, and yet she had wonderful qualities, and God chose her for this purpose. But you can't imagine that he would go to that trouble to choose such a woman to, to be the birth mother of Jesus and that he wouldn't care about the husband of Mary. And he did care about this. And so here are seven things. I want you to start in Matthew chapter 1 with me. I'm going to spend most of our time there, and then we'll skip over and spend a little bit of time in Luke 2 toward the end of the sermon. I'm in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 18. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was thus. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child, of the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin will be with child and will bring forth a son, and they will call his name Emmanuel, which is translated 
God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife and did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and they called his name Jesus. Here's number one. I'm in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 19. The Bible says, Joseph, her husband, being a just man. Joseph was a just man. Now, here's the Greek word for just, and what it means, I think it's pretty much what you think. It means he was upright. It means that he would look you in the eye, and if he, if he gave you his word, his word was his bond, and you could trust this man called Joseph. He was a just man. Now, I may interest you to know that most often this Greek word is translated righteous or righteousness, some form of righteous. Uh, for example, in Matthew 5 and verse 6 in the Beatitudes, blessed are those that hunger and thirst after righteousness, they shall be filled. Or uh, chapter 5 of Matthew and verse 10, uh, those are persecuted people, persecuted for righteousness' sake. That's the same Greek word as just. Matthew 5 and verse 20, except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you won't inherit the kingdom of heaven. Well, that's the same word as this one describing Joseph. He was a just Man. Or Matthew 6, and you're familiar with this, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. The word righteousness is the same as the word just. He was a just man. Now, that just says a volume of things. He was an honest man. He was a man of integrity. The word you would use synonymously with this is that he was an upright man. That's important. You wouldn't Expect anything else of the man who would be the husband of Mary, the mother of Jesus. But that's not all. Now, here's the second one. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, and... You really probably ought to underline the word and in your Bible here. That connective, that conjunction there, holding those two things together, I think was the balance. It describes a balance... For Joseph, as he ponders these things about Mary, who has told him that she's going to have a child. Okay, this is not easy. This is going to be really hard. Being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example was minded to put her away secretly. I'm reading from New King James. The Old King James said privily or privately. Okay, so he's a just man. Now, what does that mean? How does that play out? Last Sunday night, I I preached a sermon about family from the laws in Deuteronomy, the Old Testament laws concerning family. And we had a list of them, and one of them came from Deuteronomy 22. Now, here's Deuteronomy chapter 22 and verse 23. And what it says is, according to Moses' law, if a woman who is betrothed to a man... Now, you understand betrothal. Betrothal is is a legal engagement to break the engagement, so their fiancés, as we would use the term, but to break the engagement required a legal document. It required a divorce. It was, it was a higher level, only they had not come together yet. It wasn't a full marriage, but it was a binding relationship, all right? They're betrothed. And so the law of Moses said that if a woman who is betrothed to a man has been with a man, if you please, and, and it's in the country, and, and uh, she is violated, and she cries out, but there's nobody there to hear her. Or what if it was consensual? If it's in the city, and she does not cry out, it's assumed that it's consensual, 
and they have committed adultery, and both of them shall die. It is capital punishment for adultery, both the man and the woman. If it's in the country, she gets the presumption of innocence because she couldn't be heard, even if she cried out. So it goes her way. So the, the man would die for it, in this case for rape, and, and she would live. The point that I want to make is that when this says he didn't want to make her a public example, it doesn't just mean that he would spread the word around that she was promiscuous. That's not the point. It's bigger than that. It means he could go to the priest and accuse her before the priest of adultery. Right? It means that she would be stoned. And he couldn't stand it. Okay, now, but hold on a minute. I, I just told you, he's a just man, right? So you have this justice and, and not wanting to make her a public example. I, I, just, I always wonder what the conversation must have been like between Joseph and Mary when Mary came to tell him. Obviously, she told him. Uh, he didn't learn this from the angel, Right? He learned something about it from the angel, but she's, she's already told him. She had this conversation with him, and now he's got this conundrum about what to do. He's a just man, and he's also a merciful man. So the second thing I really want you to know is that he's merciful. And his, his decision was this. You can imagine her, her talk, but Joseph, I mean, I've got to tell you something, but Joseph, please hear me out. And surely she was weeping, and she was trying to explain, I know this doesn't make any sense to you, but there is no other man, and, and I, this, I, I'm going to have a baby, but it's conceived of the Holy Spirit, and this is the Christ child and the Messiah that we've been looking for, and I'm carrying that baby, and it's not, it's not a, a, an adultery, it's not wrong, it's, nothing wrong has happened here, and surely there was something in him that wanted to believe her, but how could you believe it? Could you believe it? I don't see how. He'd never heard of anything like this before. It's never happened before. It, it, just, it must have been a terrible struggle inside of him, but he still loved her. He still loved her. She was, look at her. She's still the same Mary that she always was. This seems totally foreign to what he knows about her, and yet the evidence is the evidence. How do you, how do you deny that? So he's going to put her away. He must have said it to her. No, Mary, you know I love you. And I, I, when I think about this conversation, I picture both of them crying. You know I love you, but no. But no, I cannot do this. But I will put you away privately, secretly. And, and maybe he was thinking that this, the father of this baby is out there somewhere and this will give her a chance to find him, and I suppose they can be married, and then they can go on with their lives, and I will not have my precious Mary killed for this sin. All right? Now, this is a beautiful concept. Aren't you glad that the justice of God is mingled with mercy? Anybody in this room not glad about that? Anybody in this room have any hope of heaven without the mercy of God? There's mercy that's, that's welded together with the justice. And, and that's how Joseph is. And now, now, he doesn't have the other man to raise to the priest. He just has the fact that she's expecting. I'm thinking about how he reasoned through this in his mind. And the answer is that he came to this conclusion. I will put you away, but I'm going to do it secretly. And in that way, she, she wouldn't she wouldn't be killed. 
This is, this is very much like Romans chapter 5 and verse 7. Now, here's what Apostle Paul said about this, this thing when he was not about Jesus, but about justice and mercy combined together. And, and here's what it says. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Now, hold it a second. That, righteous, that word righteous there is the same word as used about Joseph when it says he was a just man. Same word. Scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Peradventure for a good man, some would even dare to die. But God commends his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Do you remember this verse? I just want to make this observation that Paul makes here. There's kind of a distinction between the righteous man and the good man. You you, You might die, probably not, for a righteous man. But a good man, you, you might die for a good man. What's the diff? What's the difference between a, a righteous man and a good man? Aren't both of them good? Eh, there's a distinction. It would be this. I, I, I like to buy nails in a hardware store as opposed to the big box stores. The, I don't know, you know, where you buy them in boxes. I, I like I the kind of store, and I bought a lot of nails in my life, I guess. But you go into a hardware store and they have these big metal bins that are full of nails and you can buy 16-penny nails, and he has kind of a grappling hook, a grabber hook, and he can scoop them, and he puts them in a bag, and he weighs them. I want four pounds of 16-penny uh, nails. Okay, and so he scoops them, and he puts them in the bag, and he puts them on the scale. Now, the way that it works at a, a family-owned hardware store, if it's in account at all, and that's most of them, is that he'll weigh out the four pounds. You'll see it on the scale, and then he'll reach back to the bin and take a handful more and drop them in the sack. That's the meaning of a good man. He's not just a righteous man. A righteous man makes sure that you get the four pounds. A good man makes, you, makes sure you get the four pounds, and then he'll put some more in. What's, what's that for? Well, my scale could be a little bit off. And besides that, I really want you to come back to the store. Besides that, I want you to be my friend, and I really hope you have a nice day. Right? He's a good man. And now you have a relationship with him. Now you're connected. That's what that's about. I used to love to hear Guy in Woods preach. He was, oh, what a brilliant man he was. And Guy Woods would say about Matthew 6, 33, you know, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things. And he would emphasize that last point, shall be added unto you. And he would illustrate it and say that you go to a country store, at least when he was a boy, and, and you would buy some product and the man then would wrap it in brown paper and tie it with a string. And he would say, the Greek here means, shall be added unto you. It means to boot. It means something thrown in on the deal. To boot. And that's what that paper and string was. And Brother Woods has been gone a long time, but I, I never forgot that. There's a difference here between a righteous man and a good man. And the good man, I would suggest to you, is applicable here in reference to Joseph because not only was he a just man, but when it came down to it, I mean, he could have run to the priest. He could have made a beeline to the priest, but he didn't. He put her away. He wanted to put her away secretly. Secretly. I, I, want, to, I want to be like that. So Matthew 7 and verse 1, Judge not that you be not judged, for with what judgment you judge, you shall be judged. With what measure you meet, it shall be measured to you. Again, it doesn't mean that we're not just. It means that we always, we want to be merciful people at the same time that we answer justice. All right, here's the next one. He was sexually pure. 
He was sexually pure. Now, now you don't have to stretch very hard to figure this out. <laughs> he, he, uh, he was merciful, and that's, he didn't go to the, to the priest because he's merciful. He wants to put her away privately. He's a good man, but the whole discussion here is because he knows he's not the father, right? He knows he's not the father. He knows there's somebody else out there. That's how this works. He's sexually pure. I, I, I would have you to know, of course, Mary was too. He, he doesn't grasp it right now, but, but you know, when, when we're going to talk about this tonight, we'll talk about Mary, and Mary is going to say, I don't, when she's told she's with child, how can this be since I've known not a man? She's in the same predicament as Joseph is. Joseph just doesn't know it. She doesn't, she's never heard of anything like this before. She just knows that it's the truth. It's a miracle. It's supernatural. There's one more thing I want you to see. I'm in, I'm in Matthew chapter 1. Drop down to verse 25. Have you noticed this before? Not only was he sexually pure before they were married, he didn't come in the way of marriage to her during the time she was carrying Jesus. And he didn't know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Why not? Well, I think there's a couple of things. One is the fulfillment of prophecy. Isaiah 7 and verse 14, Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son. They shall call his name Jesus. But, or Emmanuel. But, that, but that's not all. It, it's, it's that it was important that for all time, everybody would know that, the, uh, that this act of marriage didn't occur until Jesus was already born. That is to say that there was no chance of any other interference along these lines. It was all the Holy Spirit. It was always going to be known that it was a virgin who bore the Christ child. Now, we understand that that's proven by the miraculous deeds of Jesus. We got that, and yet you would understand that, that the miraculous birth and the conception was all part of that picture of the Messiah coming to earth. And so, here, I'm, just, I'm just complimenting Joseph is all. I'm saying that, that he was sexually pure prior to the marriage, but he was also... Uh, in control of himself after that marriage in order for the significance to be maintained, the significance of the virgin who would, be, who would bear a child. All right, here's number four. And I rather like this point. He was a man who had somewhere, some along the line, somewhere had been taught what to fear about marrying a woman. Now, I'm not saying that in humor. You could say you know, there's lots of things to be afraid of. I'm not teasing you. The Bible in verse 20 says, the angel said, don't be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, but that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Don't be afraid. Don't you think that's an interesting word to use? But what, what do you suppose? Because that, that describes, it describes his emotion. What emotions would you, would you assume in his position might ha- happen? What, what might he be? What might his emotion be? And it could be rage. I mean, you talk about loving a woman and you've given your heart to her and you're going to marry her and you're a spouse to her and your family name is at stake and there's just so much. And so she tells you, I'm going to have a baby. And then she comes up with this, what appears to be a cockeyed story. I mean, it could be rage. It could just be that he just lets her have it, makes a beeline to the priest. I'm not going to put up with this. Do you think you're going to hurt me like this? No, you're not. Might have been rage. It might have been jealousy. It might have been, I tell you what I'm going to do. 
I, you, you two can play at this game. I'll, yeah, I'm going to put you away and I'll find another woman and let's just see how you like it. I suppose he... None of that, none of that rubbish. It wasn't, that, that, none of that is in him. It is fear. And the Holy Spirit says, the, the angel says, don't be afraid to take her. Fear? Yeah. Yeah, see, because he knew, somebody taught him, some, he knew that, that the taproot of marriage is trust. Can you hear what this old preacher is saying? You'll never see the backside of a good marriage without trust. And I, you know, in my, in my preaching life, I've talked to a lot of couples who, whose trust has been broken. A lot of couples. And, and if you have, I mean, if, it, if it's an anomaly, if it is an exception to who she is, or an exception to who he, he is, and there's penitence there, trust can be rebuilt in a marriage. It just takes a lot of time. And you have to have the right ingredients. If it's not who they are, it's an exception to who they are. The violation of the trust, that is. And they want to, you know what, you, you can often put it back over time. And I tell couples, it's going to be put back by a thousand times that he shows that he is telling the truth. Day after day after day, and, and eventually you won't even think about it. You'll just know that if he tells you it's going to be the truth because he's proven it so many times. He always tells the truth. He never, ever tells you a lie. He's always going to tell the truth. And so you can build the trust back over time. It's a funny thing about trust. And, and people, people violate it, and they, just, they think that, that they can gain it back just so fast because in their mind, you know, it's just different. But it's not true in reality. And somebody along the line taught Joseph that you better be afraid of this. <clears throat> somebody, you, you don't want to marry somebody who is going to deceive you, who will be a liar. You'll never have a good marriage. He was afraid of that. He was afraid. He was afraid of the fact that there was another man out there that she didn't even want to talk about. He was afraid that this is going to be somebody else's baby and what interference might this man want to have if he goes ahead and marries Mary. He was afraid. He was afraid. And so there are things now, there are things that you ought to be afraid of when you think about who to marry. I want you to be very afraid of somebody that you cannot really trust. You say, yeah, but she sure is pretty. Stop that. <laughs> you stop that. <laughs> Pretty's not going to be very pretty after she lies to you a few times. After he lies to you a few times, he's not going to be very handsome at all. I would say that there's a list of those, and you, you probably can imagine what I'm thinking about when I say that. And I know I talk to you a lot about marriage and who not to marry and who you should marry, but I'm just so interested in you finding somebody who will help you through all seasons of life. It's got to be somebody you can trust. Stay away from somebody who uses alcohol or drugs. Stay away from that. Don't do that. You say, yeah, but I do love them. Yeah, but wait a minute. It's not going to work out good. You need to find somebody who's a faithful member of the body of Christ, somebody who fears God. Why is that so important? Why is it so important that you marry a Christian? And we got people in this room, you know, who, who didn't marry Christians, and it worked out great. It turned out great in the end, but so many times it does not. You'd have to say the majority. Why should you marry a Christian? The answer is that you, you don't know what life is going to bring. That's why. It's because you're going to go through the seasons of life and take it from me. You don't know what's going to happen. And what you need is somebody who will stick with you and stick with the Lord, somebody who has predictable values no matter what happens in this life. And how do you guarantee that? Well, I don't know that there's a guarantee, but I'll tell you this. Your best hope is to marry somebody who's a faithful Christian. 
She's already that way. He's already that way. Marry that person. Could it go out? Could it go bad? It could go bad. That's your best chance, though. You got to have the basic values. He was afraid. He was, he was afraid. That was his emotion. And the Holy Spirit or the angel says, don't be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife. That which is conceived of her is of the Holy Spirit. Now, here's number five. Here was a man, Joseph, who could be changed with matters of faith. He, he would change his view. And, and here's the first one is, don't be afraid. That's what the message is from the Lord to him. Don't be afraid. Now, remember Romans says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. All right, you and I have the Scripture. Uh, what Joseph had was direct, of course, and we don't have it direct. We've got it in the Scripture. It's no different. It's the Word of God. But the Word of God ought to, ought to change us. The Word of God is our guide. It is our compass. It, it, it redirects us when we're going the wrong way. Don't be afraid to take her. You know what he did? He took her. Married her. That wasn't all. Then you read on, and what, he, what the Lord communicates is, now, don't, don't go back home again. They were in Bethlehem, so he didn't bring, they didn't bring all their stuff. He's got work to do. He's a carpenter. He's got work to do back, at, back home in Nazareth, and now he's in Bethlehem. The baby's born there, and the Lord says, go to Egypt. You know what he did? Went to Egypt. All right, you know why? Because of faith. Because of faith. That's what you do. Matters of faith. You follow God. You follow Romans ten seventeen. Faith comes by hearing the word of God. That's what he does. And so he stays in Egypt until Herod is dead. And, and then the Lord says, okay, I want you to go back. And he goes back to Israel. And then he goes from there. And by the instruction of God, he's going to go to Nazareth. So my point is that, I mean to Galilee, my point is that that's how he lived his life. And that's how you and I must live our lives. It's an admirable quality. He would change he would change by matters of faith. He would follow what God always told him to do. All right. Now, let's go to Luke chapter 2 for our last two of them. Here's number six. He was a good husband and father. A good husband and father. I'm in Luke chapter 2 and verse 4. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. That's where he was to be taxed to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were completed that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, laid him in the manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. Now, if you look at verse 16, they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. So, you could picture this little Mary. I don't know how old she was. I always thought of her as being probably 14 years old, maybe 15 years old. And it would have been a frightening thing for her to go by herself, wouldn't it? And having that baby. What if she, what if she was alone? God wasn't going to let her be alone. You say, yeah, well, God would protect her. Yes, he would. And yes, he did. You know how he did it? He gave her Joseph. That's how he did it. He made sure that she had a man with her that loved her. And so when you go to have that baby and it ends up being in, under these circumstances in Bethlehem, who's there? The answer is Joseph is there taking care of her. Who helped her birth that baby? Joseph did. Who's seeing to her and caring for her? And can I help you and can I bring you something? Who's that? It's Joseph. 
And when it comes time that they got to escape and save the baby's life by going to Egypt, who is it that's going to take her there? The answer is, it's Joseph. Why? Because he's the man. He's the man. He's the husband. He's the protector. He's the father, legally, and he is her husband. When it comes to time after a few years, and he's a, he's a carpenter, by the way, which is a wonderful thing. I suppose he could find a job just about anywhere. And he must have done that to make her a living so that she could take care of Jesus. Did you hear what I just said? <laughs> God, God is taking care of Jesus, and he's using Joseph. Let's do one more. I want to drop down now to verse 21. I'm in Luke chapter 2 and verse 21. And it's just, and this is obvious, an obvious fact. Uh, can I give you one more thing before I, before I leave the Joseph thing? In Mark chapter 6 and verse 3, the Bible says that it's, ref- it's just kind of a passing thing. You probably would skip right by it because it seems just insignificant, just in passing. But, but you look at this verse and tell me what Jesus is called. Well, they call Jesus, and the answer is they called him the carpenter. Is not this the carpenter? Wait a minute, that's not talking about Joseph. It's talking about Jesus, right? Isn't that obvious? What does that tell you about Joseph? Well, where, I mean, Jesus, Jesus grew up in his dad's shop. He grew up learning carpentry from his dad. His dad was a carpenter. What was Jesus? He was a carpenter, and they called him the carpenter here, and I'm just... I'm just saying that he was, he was, Joseph was a great husband and a dad. And I, I don't, I know that we know so very little about Joseph and the relationship with Jesus, but it sure warms my heart to think about five-year-old, six-year-old Joseph having a, I mean, a Jesus having a, a dad like Joseph, who was a righteous man and a just man and a merciful man. All right, here's the, here's the last one. He was devoutly religious. Here's number seven. He faithfully kept the ordinances of the old law. I'm in 21. And when eight days were completed for the circumcision of the child, according to the old law, his name was called Jesus. The name was given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. He made sure Jesus was circumcised on the eighth day according to the law. And then you you have verse 24, that he went to offer sacrifice according to what was said in the law of the Lord. Joseph and Mary were religious people, godly people who cared about the law of God. You drop down to verse 41. You remember when Jesus was 12 and what happened with the the doctors of the law? You you know that that was the Passover feast? Well, that's because his parents were devoutly spiritual, devoutly religious. They were going to follow the law of God. And 41 says, now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. Why is that? Because they're devoutly religious. It's just, I just want to say that it... In our lives, it's very easy, I think, to make sure, make sure that we're sure that we're sure that we take care of some things in our children's lives. I want them to be fed and clothed properly, an adequate and, and good diet. And then I want to make sure about their secular education, about their physical well-being, and we go on and on and on. But, but we may mm, be very careful about ever minimizing the spiritual education of your children. Because if you, and you know this, but I just want to say it out loud. If you, if you took care of all the physical things so that they would have a terrific life, the best life you could give them here on earth, but you don't fill them up with the Word of God, you've only created a better atmosphere from which they can go to hell. What good is it? It's just admirable, I want to say, of Joseph that 
that you see him. He was a devoutly religious man. He practiced it. Our children need to see you and me practicing our faith so that they know that it's real. God help us so that our children can never remember. And I know that not everybody can accomplish this because of time passage. But for all of us who can, just set in your mind that I want to rear my children in such a way that they do not remember a time that we didn't come faithfully every time to the worship assemblies. They didn't remember a time that we weren't involved in the church. They don't remember a time when the Bible wasn't a significant part of our lives. All right. We don't know what happened to Joseph. You, you, you hear from him in, 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 here in Luke 2 and, and um, in, in reference to the Passover and Jesus is 12 years old. And after that, you don't, you don't see him anymore. He's gone. And when you get to the cross, Jesus from the cross says to John, he points to Mary, or this is Mary, uh, woman, behold your son, behold your mother. This is, this is um, he, he makes care for his mother, which of course indicates that Joseph is gone. That wouldn't make any sense. What's interesting to me, and this kind of goes with the whole sermon, is that I've never in my life heard anybody say, well, maybe Joseph found another woman, he abandoned them. You never have heard that, have you? you? Nobody's ever said that. Nobody would say that. And the reason is because of the kinds of qualities we talked about today. Th- this is who he is. He is a just man and a righteous man. He's a sexually pure man. He is a good father and husband. And all of these things are true. And so everybody says the same thing, and I, me too. Somewhere along the line, obviously, Joseph died. But when you finish what you know about him, he interestingly, and maybe, I mean, this is not a big deal. It's just interesting to me that the, the Joseph that you know about from the Old Testament has nothing written about him that's bad. The same is true about the husband of Mary. And I'm really very thankful for that. I, I want with my life to be a disciple of Jesus Christ in every way. Every waking moment needs to be, and I don't always get it right, but I... Every waking moment needs to be that I want to be like him. The word for that is disciple. I'm a follower. And the disciples were called Christians in the New Testament. And the way that they became disciples, became Christians, was by obeying the gospel of Jesus. And that involved believing that he was the Son of God. It involved repenting of their sins That means because you're from heaven, I'm going to follow you. It it involved confessing him. It involved being immersed in water. Because he said, he that believes and is baptized shall be saved. He that believes not shall be damned. Maybe maybe there's somebody here this morning who wants to obey the gospel. And I just want to say that we'd be so happy to help you do that. And if you are a member of the body, if you are a disciple, but you need the prayers of the Christians, we'd do that. We want to help you. We want to help people go to heaven. We hope you have enjoyed this lesson from God's Word, brought to us by Glenn Colley. If you have comments or questions, Glenn can be reached by email at colley at westhuntsville.org.